Hi, my name's Alyssa. And my name's Melissa. Welcome back to the Deliverability Defined Podcast. Each week, we'll be diving deep into a topic and giving you practical advice to improve your email deliverability. In other words, we'll help you reach the inbox of your subscribers and stay out of their spam folders, leading to more success in your email marketing. Deliverability can be complex, but we're here to define it. Okay. Hey, Melissa. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited about today's topic because I think it's something that a lot of email senders have wondered about. And there's some controversy around it too, which is kind of fun. So if you've ever downloaded or used one of those like free tools or applications that sync with your email inbox, and maybe it does something like automatically unsubscribes you from mail that you don't open very often, there's a chance that your mailbox data is actually being used by someone else's inbox placement test to determine where their messages land for you. It's a little scary. Yeah. (laughs) We love controversy though, so we needed to bring it up. (laughs) Exactly. We got to keep you on your toes. And they always say, if the product is free, you're the product. So Ooh, it's that's, definitely. Yeah, that's interesting. A little scary. Yeah. If you're downloading a lot of free things, getting a lot of free tools, there's a good chance your data is what's actually making that company money. So always look into that. I'm excited to talk about that. Yeah. So to get started and introduce inbox placement tests, as we've mentioned many, many times, there's no true way to know your exact inbox placement rate, although everyone really wants to know that information. So after an email is either delivered or bounced, the receiver doesn't provide any further information about where the email actually ended up. I think this is the hardest, actually the hardest thing to explain to someone who's new to email marketing, which I totally don't blame them. But it's hard to explain where ConvertKit or any other ESP lies within the whole process of email deliverability because, you know, oftentimes, and I've said this in another podcast episode, but people want to know like, hey, if I use ConvertKit, will my emails go to the primary inbox? And that's probably the number one thing I explain the most often to new customers or not just new customers, but people who are usually new to email marketing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh... It depends on a lot of different things. And also you will have no way to know whether it really went to the inbox or not. And there's just a whole lot there. But of course, everyone's wanting that data. Everyone wants as much data as they can possibly get. So inbox placement tests exist to try and give people that data. Although it's just not 100% accurate, which we're going to talk about. Uh, I'm not saying it's not useful, but you need to understand its shortcomings in order to actually have a good experience with inbox placement tests and not get stuck going down a rabbit hole that's just going to waste your time. Which is pretty much what we talk about with any tool or metric with deliverability is that one thing, you know, might look a certain way, maybe your your open rates or your, I don't even know, I can't even think right now. There's so many different things that you could look at, but one of those things might be affecting something else. So we always say, you know, these are great tools to look into your overall reputation as a sender, but just a small change in your open rates may not be what's causing you to actually have issues. Yeah, exactly. And I think the thing with deliverability is that there are so many different just potential outcomes, so many different factors that could be influenced 
influencing that word <laughs> sounded weird for a second <laughs> that could be influencing your inbox placement and yeah that's where everybody just wants data everybody wants to know what's going on how they can do better so tools like this can be helpful to get you that information but they can also lead you astray kind of like sometimes I'll randomly come across a Twitter thread where someone's like my messages are going to spam what do I do and it's so funny to see all the replies sometimes because it's just like Check your SPF, check your DCAM, check this, check that. Don't use the word free. Don't do this. And like a million different people respond with all of these different things to check. When in reality, you know, they're probably that person's now going to go down so many different rabbit holes that don't actually matter or aren't impacting their mail. So inbox placement tests, I think, can help you narrow down exactly what you need to focus on if you look at them through the right lens. Mm -hmm. But if you don't, and if you don't have that information, it can actually, yeah, just send you down the wrong path, take up a lot of time, maybe cause panic that you don't need to have. And everyone's deliverability issues or problems they might be experiencing are unique to them. So, you know, you could have two people who have similar open rates, who both do an inbox placement test, and their results could be somewhat similar, but they both are experiencing issues from two different, you know, issues. Exactly. I mean, it can be completely different. So back to the lens thing that you said. Right. So it's good to know how to look at all of the data in front of you. And it's totally fine if inbox placement tests is part of that data you're looking at, but just make sure it's not all of the data you're looking at and treating it like it's 100% factual. So on that note, we can hop into how these inbox placement tests even work. So, you know, it's kind of contradictory. We told you at the beginning of the podcast, there's no way to know whether your emails actually go to the inbox or spam completely. And then there are these tools called inbox placement tests that tell you where your messages land. So the way they do that is there's actually two different kind of data collection ways they can do that. The most common one that you're going to see pretty frequently at the different platforms for inbox placement tests is called a seed list. And that is a list of addresses that don't belong to real people. They're just these testing addresses. And whenever you send a test email to those addresses, they're just kind of like a robot uh, address. All they do is populate the data back into the tool you're using. And it says essentially where your message went, spam, inbox, or maybe didn't even arrive at all. And if it's a Gmail test address, it can tell you whether it went to the promotions tab or the primary tab. And it usually kind of scans your content as well, just looking for anything that could change. And then there is the second kind, which we kind of teased at the beginning of the episode. And that is panel data, which is really interesting. And those are real mailboxes that belong to real people. And those real people at some point in time installed some sort of free application within their email. And that application is allowed to aggregate their data and use it by these inbox placement tests. So this really works best for really large senders because there has to be a good chance that whenever you send out an email, some of your subscribers are using those free tools. And that free tool can essentially plug into your inbox placement test tool and tell you exactly where your email landed for them. So interesting. (laughs) Uh, I know. It's kind of crazy when you think about it that that's okay. But um, actually, Google did prohibit the use of panel data in March of last year. So a lot of the tools who use panel data have had to pivot and they just they can't use uh, Gmail or Google data when it comes to panel data. All I can think about is like the uh, 
the consent page of like all that information that I never read on things that I use. (laughs) Come to find out they're using all my data. Yeah, exactly. That kind of goes back to the conversation we had around hey.com, you know, that mailbox provider who's really upset about open tracking pixels. And I'm not saying that's not something to be upset about necessarily, but also just in the grand scheme of things, it's hard for me to be worried about open tracking pixels um, when it's like, oh, they know I opened an email. Cool. Well, this company knows every single email that I'm receiving and (laughs) what it says in the content, what I'm opening, what I'm clicking. They know what I'm interested in. They know what I've purchased. There was actually a huge controversy. I don't remember all the details. There was a tool that you could download. I think it still exists. And you could use it to, you know, automatically unsubscribe you from emails that you weren't using. And they actually ended up selling data. I believe it was, they were selling data to Uber. Ooh. And it was all about Lyft customers. Like they would look and see the emails people that Lyft was sending to people. And it even told them like where Lyft dropped them off, where Lyft picked them up. So they could get data on their competitors' customers in order to like target those people. So anyways, that was a huge issue and... There's a lot of information out there about this. It's really interesting. But yeah, be sure that when you're using these kind of free tools or services or products that you are okay Mm -hmm. with how they might be using your information. Well, and it's one thing to be a customer. And I try to explain this to people who aren't really in email marketing, who ask like what I do or what, you know, even what like a marketing tool like ConvertKit is for. But I try to explain like as an email subscriber myself, as a customer to different places, I I appreciate somewhat targeted information towards me because it makes my life easier as a consumer. It gives me products that I'm, you know, interested in that I've bought in the past or, you know, whatever. So I think to some extent, you know, that stuff is helpful. I you know, I only subscribe to the things that I'm interested in. I don't feel like, even though I know there's a lot of companies who send me a lot of emails, you know, I like receiving like when there's a sale or whatever, and you can oftentimes make your preferences a certain way. So you're only getting a certain amount of emails. Like I think all of those things are really important to, you know, any email marketer, any sender. Yeah. But then when you think about someone using your data for almost like not I wouldn't I guess I wouldn't say malicious reasons but almost like that's like targeting in a way that's like so sneaky and Mm -hmm. behind your back that it makes you you know I think most people think like we talk about apps and downloading apps on our phone and those are the things that are taking our data and people aren't really thinking about email as doing that as much anymore unless you're clicking links within an email that's like malicious but it's kind of scary that there there is stuff like that still happening in email even though people we talk about it all the time, like email is still one of the number one ways to communicate, you know, in Mm -hmm. the online world. So it's not going away just because apps on your phone are available. Yeah, exactly. And I know I briefly mentioned this podcast episode um, when we talked about Hey, and then I didn't go too in-depth, but we put it in our show notes for that and we can put it in this one. But I would highly recommend um, you all listen to a Reply All episode. And it actually starts out about being about robocalls and how, you know, we're all getting mm-hmm. these spam calls and the spammers will often change their area codes and things to either match where you live or even places you've been, which is crazy. So creepy. And yeah, the person who was calling in to reply all was trying to figure out how do they know? Like, you know, he was traveling and after he left a place, he would 
get calls from that place that mm. were spam calls. It turned out that it was an app, like one of those silly free games, an app that he downloaded on his phone that was tracking his location data and selling it. Oh my gosh, that's so crazy. And these robocalls were using it to target him and change area codes based on places he had visited. So yeah, there's just so much of that going on. And I like that you mentioned too, because we're telling marketers on this podcast to send personalized, relevant emails. So it's right. kind of like, where's the line? Right. And to me, I think everyone has a different line. My line is, I want you to personalize your emails and target me with data that makes sense. Like I have given you, I have selected, you know, this is what I like, this is what I don't like kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or you're using kind of like my activity and purchases with you. Mm-hmm. Um, so for example, if I go to Target, and I buy the same products kind of over and over, I think it would not freak me out for them to email me about discounts on those products. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I bought those products. That's a smart thing for them to do. However, if I bought something on Amazon or I maybe just like viewed something on Amazon and then Target sent me an email about it because they were buying data from Amazon, not cool. That's kind of creepy. And okay, maybe it is smart on their part, but Again, creepy. So I think feels like Big Brother is um, watching you, and it's just it doesn't make you trust. I mean, I think that's like what we also at ConvertKit, you know, kind of preach is that as a sender, you need to remember that there is someone on the other end of the email address, and even though there's a difference between like personalization and then like you're saying crossing that line into like I was just talking about this with my friend, and now it's <laughs> showing up on an Instagram ad. Yeah, um, that's just really creepy. Yeah. Ooh, there's also a really good reply all episode about all of that. So you should check that out too. I think it's titled something like, is Facebook listening to me? Ooh. But it goes into like how Facebook knows uh, which of your Facebook friends you're hanging out with. They know when, you know, you're together because of, if you both have the Facebook app on your phone. Right. And if that friend you were just hanging out with searches for something you all were talking about, It'll probably show up in your ads because Facebook knew you were just together. So typically, you know, they they kind of disproved the whole microphone thing. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of other things Facebook is doing to serve you ads based on the people you're closest to and their activity, which is, again, it's like just a whole nother layer. But (laughs) we're kind of taking a tangent, but I love it. So if you're listening to this and you're a marketer, I would say a good line for you is, you can target and personalize based on the way a subscriber has engaged with you and your brand and purchases they've made or activity they've taken with your brand. Anything outside of that, to me, I would not personalize based on that. Absolutely. So, I mean, that kind of, in a way, too, like that could sort of lead into our next topic of like the downsides of inbox placement tests because, I mean, data can be skewed. And so sort of in that whole conversation about whether, you know, a company can like listen in on your conversations and target you, (laughs) um, I feel like a lot of those kinds of tactics could lead to poor data and potentially, you know, kind of make their customers feel uncomfortable in a way that would not want, they would make the customer not potentially want to buy from that company. Does that make sense? Like, I think that that's the scary side too, not scary side, but like the downside of like the inbox placement test is they are like using email addresses that don't necessarily have any kind of like background of functionality in any way. So like those people aren't engaging with your emails in real life. 
Right. So these seed list addresses that are used most heavily for inbox placement tests, they're not real email addresses. They're not opening your emails, clicking on them for the most part. A few of them might, but also their history as an email address. They've just been receiving a ton of email from all these random senders only one time, and they usually don't engage with them. So a smart mailbox provider like Gmail is going to treat that test email address differently than it's going to treat you or I or anyone else that's just a normal subscriber and actually signed up for that email list. So to look at these test addresses and the inbox um, placement they're getting and then look at your actual audience, they're just not going to be 100% accurate. Those test addresses cannot show exactly what your audience is seeing. And I think that's where inbox placement tests can become not dangerous necessarily, but unhelpful Mm -hmm. because a lot of marketers, a lot of beginning marketers especially will be so excited to understand, oh my goodness, here's how my inbox placement's doing. And then they'll see the data and just freak out or again, go down some road that isn't accurate. And maybe they have perfect, you know, almost perfect inbox placement in real life. Mm -hmm. And they just wasted a day um, freaking out because these seed list addresses showed something different because they're they're robot addresses. You right. know, they're not right. real. Well, yeah, exactly. They're not showing the engagement. You could have a smaller list and have, you know, almost all of your emails opened by your subscribers because you have almost a personal relationship with those subscribers. And then when you go and do an inbox placement test and you see the like disparity between the two, it's easy to react in a defensive way, like we say oftentimes, you know, people will feel like, well, why is it not showing what I feel like I'm seeing on my end. And like you said, it's because those are two totally different scenarios of number one, you having an actual real relationship with your subscribers and then having these robot addresses just basically show you where they think your emails are landing, but those subscriber actions and engagements are making your emails land in their primary inbox because they're constantly looking for that email to engage with you as a sender. Yeah, exactly. I think it all comes down to a confusion about, you know, how spam filtering happens. And maybe sometimes people think that when a receiver receives your email, they're just looking at maybe you or your ESP and they're deciding, do I like the sender? Mm -hmm. Do I like the ESP sending the email? If yes, put it in the inbox. If no, put it in spam, which that's certainly a factor There are lots of factors. They also look at the recipient and they say, okay, I like this sender. Maybe I like like their ESP too. The email looks okay. Now let's look at the person they're emailing. Does this person want this message? How have they engaged in the past? Do they know this person? There's all kinds of other factors on the recipient's end that goes into spam filtering. And when you're sending to a seed list address that aren't real people, there are going to be a lot of weird signals mm-hmm. that they're sending to their mailbox, and it can definitely cause some weird results. And again, it's just not going to look totally accurate to what your actual email list would do. So I think that's really the key of how to make inbox placements beneficial to you is to look at them through that lens. Know that it's not 100% totally accurate to what your subscribers are experiencing, and that's okay, and that you have data on your end that you can use alongside of this data to determine what's actually happening. Right, which is why we always say, too, um, instead of looking at just like your open rate, look at your click rate, 
look how people are engaging within your email and also consider what you can do as a sender to promote engagement within your emails. So as you're looking at those tests next to what's going on, you know, in your own email marketing platform account, you're able to compare, like you said, looking through a lens of, okay, what are things that look like they're working? And then what are things that maybe this inbox placement test are showing me that if I knew there was like maybe an issue, what could I do to improve it? Even though I know that I'm still doing well because my open rates are high, my engagement seems to be okay. But I feel like there's always things that people can do to improve. Mm-hmm. You know, there's deliverability, best practices that people don't even think to use, but they might be, still be doing well. But maybe those inbox placement tests will just like help be like, oh, maybe I could just do these two things. It's an extra step for me, but it might help. Yeah, exactly. And I think once you get those deliverability best practices in check, there is always still room to improve when it comes to your marketing. So that's really, and your marketing is going to impact your deliverability because I think a lot of people don't make that connection. They think of deliverability as so technical and that all emails should go to the inbox, but really your own content and your copy and your the way your email looks and the way it provides value, that is a huge factor that's going to influence your deliverability. So even once you've kind of cleaned your list, you've made sure authentication looks good, you've, you have a good ESP that you trust, beyond that, you will want to focus really heavily on marketing, knowing your subscribers, delivering value, having engaging content. And that's, I mean, people go to school for that. Right. There's always room to learn there. And that's exciting. So back to inbox placement tests a little bit more. So let's say you run one and you get your results and it's telling you where your inboxes or where your emails landed, um, it usually breaks it out by mailbox provider, like Gmail, Microsoft, so on and so forth. Again, take that data in, but analyze it. Look at your own account and see if things line up. So if the test says that all of your emails go to spam at Gmail, but you look in your open rates at Gmail, if you're able to see that are you know greater than 20%, or maybe you have a Gmail address that you're signed up to your list on and it always goes to the inbox and maybe you run some tests on some other Gmail addresses that go to the inbox, You've never heard of any issues with Gmail deliverability, then honestly, it's probably just the test being a little weird. I know I've seen that recently. I worked with a sender who their test showed a lot of Gmail spam filtering, but in reality, their Gmail was fine. So it, that's more on the seed list acting weird. But if you, you know, get those results and it says you have Gmail spam filtering and then you test it and you see the same thing on your end and maybe your open rates or click rates are low at Gmail, again, that's just like more data to show that there is an issue and it's time to start digging in there. Right. So inbox placement tests can help uncover any major filtering issues. But to make sure that's actually happening, just be sure to look at your own data too. But let's say Hotmail decided that you have a really bad sender reputation and they want to send all of your messages to spam. Um, An inbox placement test can tell you if that's happening because then all the Hotmail seed list addresses will show spam placement. But again, just make sure when you see that, you take it with a grain of salt maybe Mm -hmm. at first look into your own account, run some tests. I mean, you can create a Hotmail address on your own at any time, send it an email, see where it lands, pull the message headers, which we have a tutorial on how to do. 
we can put in the show notes and make sure authentication looks good. And then start to look into your Hotmail subscribers in your account. Maybe see how many of them are cold, see if they have complained in the past. There's all kinds of things you can do to start to dig into the issue there. But the really summary here is that inbox placement tests can be a nice extra data point for you. They can also be unhelpful Mm -hmm. if you take them as complete truth. Right. You just can't have an inbox placement test without your own data from whatever ESP you're using. Just like any other thing we've talked about as a data point in deliverability, you just have to take it for what it is before stressing out. Make sure that you take a look at some of the other things as far as like best deliverability practices go. And that way, you're not digging into the wrong area because that happens so often where people fixate on one thing when really there's something else going on. Yeah. And there's another thing that inbox placement tests typically do that causes that panic. And they usually will show you if any of the IP addresses that sent mail um, for you are on a block list. Mm -hmm. So we do have a whole episode on that, but that's another area where inbox placement tests can cause a lot of panic because they're searching through hundreds of block lists. And they will say, you know, your IP is on three block lists or something like that. And it's all red and it looks really scary. (laughs) Um, But in reality, if you're using an ESP, those IP addresses are shared with probably thousands of other senders. And there are hundreds of block lists out there. And it's pretty inevitable that that IP is going to be listed on some block list somewhere. Like we've said before, uh, we could start a block list right now. That doesn't mean your mail is being filtered. Uh, it means your IP address is on that block list. But again, that doesn't mean necessarily your mail is being impacted by mm-hmm. it. It really depends on the block list and your audience. So uh, I would recommend listening to that episode if you haven't already. It's called Demystifying Block List. But kind of the summary there is to lean on your ESP. If you're using an ESP like ConvertKit that takes deliverability really seriously, you can be assured that we are monitoring block lists constantly, taking care of them constantly, and that if there was anything impacting your mail, you would know about it. Exactly. Cool. So another thing inbox placement tests can do that are helpful is it usually does kind of scan your content, makes you aware of any maybe formatting, HTML issues, things like that. So that can always be good just to kind of give you a heads up about anything there. Maybe if you have really large images or really huge URLs, there are some good content analysis analysis tools, but again, it could show you 100% inbox placement and it could tell you that there are five things wrong with your content. So, you know, <laughs> you just kind of take all the data points in, do what you can, but I wouldn't panic just based on those little warnings that you might see in your inbox placement tool, which I just realized we haven't really shared names of some common inbox placement tools. Oh, so you yeah, might that, be wondering. That might be a good idea. <laughs> Um, We don't like promote any necessarily. These are just some common ones that people use. So I would say Glock apps. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if it's G-Lock apps or Glock apps, but they do have, I think you can do three free inbox placement tests. So I would say they are um, pretty commonly used for that reason. That's one. We use 250OK sometimes. They have a seed list test. They also have a bunch of other features. And that's how most of these platforms work. There's 250OK, eData Source, now Kickbox has joined that group. And usually if you sign up with them, you get 
spam trap monitoring, block list monitoring, all kinds of features all in one platform. And inbox placement test is part of that puzzle. I would say most like creators or convert customers do not need that uh, because we are, we have those memberships and we're doing all that for you. Mm -hmm. So I would say personally that that's really for like a larger sender, maybe with a dedicated IP or sending through their own kind of service or just a more dedicated platform in general. But for the most part, Glock apps or some other smaller inbox placement tests with a free option is probably what most people would use. Yeah, I see that a lot with customers who reach out and ask questions about the data they receive from those tests. And I think Glock apps is the one I see the most often. And, you know, it's always helpful if you notice that there's like an issue on your end, if you see, you know, a change in your open rates or something like that, and you decide that you want to run a a placement test, you can always reach out to your ESP and ask to speak with like someone on the deliverability team if they have that at your ESP and just ask for some like expert opinions because it is easy, you know, kind of this whole episode has been talking about the differences you can see in data and we can help, you know, explain things in a way that makes sense, that isn't scary. And Hopefully, you like I said, any ESP you're at that has a deliverability team can do that for you and let you know if there's something that they suggest that you should be looking at more closely or if, you know, they suggest a tool like that that maybe they're not using. But yeah, you should be able to, like Alyssa always says, lean on your ESP. Yeah, definitely. I will say um, just from my industry experience, I think a lot of deliverability people at an ESP will respond saying, seedless tests aren't accurate, essentially. And that'll kind of be it. Just like telling you not to worry. And I totally get that. It can be frustrating. I have seen people with like 40% open rates come and be really concerned and be like, oh my goodness, I did this inbox placement test and it's telling me all my messages are going to spam. And as a deliverability person, you want to be like, uh, let's look at the real data because this is really what's happening. And you know, your delivery rate is amazing. Your open rate's amazing. Your click rate's amazing you're fine. But I do think here at ConvertKit, Melissa and I and Akash and others on our team would be very happy to just look at the data you're seeing and let you know for sure. Like if we see anything that looks concerning or any, you know, thing that doesn't look concerning just and help just kind of help you. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Cool. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. I think that's something a lot of people do as an extra step. And I hope this helped Um, uncover where it can be helpful, where it can also not be helpful if you look at it the wrong way. So let us know if you have questions. We're always here to help. Yep. We always want to hear from you. Um, (laughs) Send your questions, send your comments. Let us know if you use one and if it's helpful to you or not. We just, we really want people to interact with us. So (laughs) send us a message. We're desperate. No, I'm just kidding. Let us know you're listening, please. Yeah, we really do love, um, we get some form submissions sometimes, like we mentioned, uh, people giving us topic recommendations or asking extra questions. It really is fun because I feel like it's a bigger conversation when we have you all interacting. So um, feel free to do that at convertkit.com slash deliverability. There's a form there for you. You can also just tell us if we're helping you through the reviews on Apple Podcasts, which is always fun. But yeah. We appreciate you guys a lot and we hope this was helpful and we hope you have a great week and we will see you next week. Okay. Bye. Thanks for listening to deliverability defined. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast wherever you're listening. And if you have time, please leave us a review. You can find a resource guide for today's show at convertkit.com slash deliverability. 
where we outline all of the information you need to know from today's episode. If you have a question or topic you want us to cover, let us know within the ConvertKit community or at convertkit.com slash deliverability. We'll see you next week.